one come all. You've just tuned in once again. And this is the Cubs Weekly Podcast, proudly presented by Wintrust, a proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Chicago Cubs checking. You can open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Now, oh, it's a special moment here. In addition to our digital content manager at Marquee Sports Network, Tony Andraki, uh, he's gracing us with his presence. 1984 Cy Young Award winner, one of the best in all the business, baseball, sports media. It's uh, the Red Baron himself, Rick Sutcliffe. Sut, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us here this week on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. You know, Cole, it's always a pleasure to be with you and Tony. I, I just wish that we were doing this live from Houston right now, knowing that the Cubs were playing the Astros. But, hey, you know what? There's always next year. That's a very good point because, uh, like you alluded to, uh, down there in Houston, uh, there's a, a little bit of a World Series that's about to get underway. Of course, we know it's Houston taking on those upstart Atlanta Braves. And when it comes to this year's installment of the second season, the postseason, how closely have you been following it, Sut? Well, Phil, as you know, um, my grandson Ryder is eight years old. And, I mean, when he gets home from school, as you have to do with Paisley, get her to knock out the homework, uh, yeah. The TV doesn't go on until the homework's done. But, uh, you know, we've caught as much of it as we possibly can. There's no doubt about it. Uh, dinner's here at uh, the grandparents' house. I'm known as Gramps. My wife's known as G-Rob. Uh, as soon as Ryder gets out of school, they're headed this way, and uh, we'll check out game one. I like the way that sounds because around my household, it's homework, cuts off the tee, and then you can watch a little bit of baseball. <laughs> it normally falls in that order, so, so it's good to see. But well, hold on. How's Before we go any further, i got to – I got to catch up. What's what's happening with Paisley? Did they, they do anything over the weekend? They, well, they had a tournament. It got rained out on Sunday. They they lost their third game. They were playing in a, in a 12U tournament, my daughter's team. So, of course, she's a, a 10U team. So, they played up. They lost their third game on Saturday by one run. So, then they, they were in a different bracket. They were still the one seed. They won their first game on Sunday, and it got rained out. So, being that they were a younger squad, the team that they lost to two to one on Saturday, they took first place in the tournament, but they won their tournament in Ohio and they have a tournament next week down there in Alabama. So, you know, she's ready to get after it. So, you know, sometimes when you lose, you win, right? Playing up like that. Absolutely. That's what Rosie Perez said on white men can't jump. Sometimes when you win, you really lose. And sometimes when you lose, you really win. Isn't that right? Tony Andrack, you could quote white men can't jump all day long, right? It is, I actually can't quote it, but I've seen it quite a few times. And, yeah, she was okay. my favorite character in that for sure. I, Cole, mm -hmm. I do have a question for you. You said cuts off a tee. How many cuts are you taking off a tee with Paisley? Uh, I don't necessarily take cuts off the tee. I will every once in a while. But when we go to the batting cage, I do have a brand-new Marucci Gamer. Got the nice little lizard grip on it. I have a pair of brand-new batting gloves. I get after. I take the one-handed hacks, you know, top-hand, bottom-hand drills. Then I swing away, try to put a few on the left-field fence. And then I hit with the purpose. Put a few on the ground to the right side. I tell my little one that they could never shift on your father. They, they probably could <laughs> because – they'd throw fastballs right by me. Uh, the 80-mile-an-hour batting cage at Pioneer Park over there in Skokie, not not the same as actually digging in in a real-time batter's box, Tone. Yeah, for sure. And I, Well, so, Rick, let's turn it back to you then. As you were watched the Cubs this year in 2021, what were your main takeaways? Obviously, it was a crazy year. It was like two seasons. It was pre-trade deadline, post-deadline, a lot of players. I mean, franchise record, well, major league record, 69 players, a lot of different pitchers. How did you take this all in, at, you know, from the broadcast booth to the studio to watching at home? What were your takeaways from this Cubs season? Yeah, Tony, there's, 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 I mean, we could do a whole show just on that. Um, 
You talked about all the different players. Uh, we could talk about the injuries. We can talk about the virus that was going around and all the difficulties that it brought with. I just think, guys, I think you got to go back. Uh, if you really want to know the whole story, you got to go back. As you guys know, Theo and Jed invited me to be a part of camp when they came on in, in, in October of, of uh, 2011. Uh, I was in spring training in 2012. You got to go back to 2015 when all of a sudden, uh, like in Texas Hold'em, uh, the Cubs said, we're all in. I mean, you're going to bring in John Lester. You're bringing in Joe Madden. We got a chance to win this thing. We didn't win it all in 15, but in 16, all of a sudden you add Zobrist, you bring in Chapman in July, and you do win it all. You got to go back to 2017. And, you know, nobody's ever repeated in the longest time. We all know about that. Cincinnati in the National League, of course, the Yankees in the American League. I got to give the Cubs all the credit in the world. I mean, they had to give up a lot to get Quintana. He came over and did absolutely nothing wrong. But you know what? Our offense, our offense started to fall apart at that time. We weren't able to get it done. We know that the last postseason game we won was that year in 2017. 2018, we know what happened there. Theo says the offense was completely broken. He was exactly right. So you kind of got to go back to what happened there in 2017 when all of a sudden they, they threw their cards in again. I'm all in. We had to give up a lot. You gave up Dylan Cease. You had to give up Eloy. Um, what would those guys look like in a Cub <sighs> right now? But I guarantee you, if you go back, and I'll raise my hand, I was all excited about Quintana. Here's a 200-inning guy coming over here. Hey, yeah. let's have another parade. It didn't work out. But to, to know the whole story about what happened this year, I think you've got to go back to what happened in 2015. And so you talk about the offense being broken, and it seems to be you know a, a philosophy that's – not just with the Chicago Cubs, but it's all Major League Baseball. You see it running rampant these days. It's it's more about the, some of these the other numbers, the, the OPS, the on base percentage, uh, the slugging percentage, all these things that are married together. The launch angle, the exit velo, and out the window has gone that that get them on, get them over, get them in mentality. It seems as if hitting runs and, and, and bunting and stealing and just playing that small ball it, it has fallen by the wayside, but. You know, over the last few weeks and last two months of the season, we've seen somewhat of a rebirth when it comes to that philosophy. I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think when you look at the Astros lineup right now, when you go back and look at some of the lineups in the past that have won the World Series, I go back to what Theo Epstein told me in 2004 when the Red Sox were in the World Series and they had a chance to win it all after the big comeback they had against the Yankees. Why is your lineup so deep? What's going on like that? You have to be average or better at every position. And when you go back and look at the Cubs the last three years, there's a lot. I mean, they're, they're less than average at most positions than they are above average. So mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that you got to fix right there. And for me, and Cole, you know I've said it, Tony, for 20 years now on ESPN, they asked me, what do you do to help the offense? Well, think back to what happened back in the late 60s with Gibson and Marichal and Drysdale. What did they do? The mound was 15 inches tall. They took it down to 10. We didn't hear another word about helping the offense for the longest period of time. Why is it Why is it still at 10? Why is it not at 5? Or why not just take it completely out? They talk about moving it back. You're going to have some problems. You're going to hurt people yep. if you try to add some distance to that. But when pitchers do a lot of, of, you know, we talk about doing flat ground work. You know, they don't throw off the mound when they're trying to just spin something or rotate something. There's no need for a mound. And if you take a fastball at 100 coming in like that, and all of a sudden you level it out, 
I mean, it's going to get a lot easier to be able to put the ball in play more often. Do you think there would be any arm injuries that would come from moving the flat ground, though? I mean, just from saw all the mechanics and obviously, like you said, pushing it back, I think injuries will come from it. Do you think moving the flat ground and down 10 inches, pitching in live action, do you think there'd be arm injuries as a result of that, Rick? I don't, Tony. And I'll tell you why. Because I know a lot of time when I was trying to work something out or when Arietta or Lester or Kyle Hendricks were trying to work on a certain thing, it was off the flat ground that they started. So these guys are throwing off flat ground. A lot of times, I mean, guys are going to throw off flat ground during the winter till probably like the middle of January. And then all of a sudden you start getting on that bump and you maybe have the catcher move up a little bit. But I absolutely don't believe that lowering the mound, hey, did it, did it hurt a lot of guys back in the late 60s when they did that? No, they didn't have a problem with that. I don't believe they would again. Yeah, it's crazy how the, that these that some of these parameters and some of these dimensions of the game of baseball, you know, they, they've been just fine for over 150 years. And only now are we seeing some of these augmentations come into play only because guys can't hit against the shift or hit some of that those those triple digit fastballs when it seemed to be cyclical. Rick, you know, when you say, well, a guy's 25 and all these middle relievers, they come in, they're throwing 97 to 101. However, when you see some of these younger guys, when they were in high school, they faced off against a pitching staff that had three, maybe two guys thrown in the 90s. And you go back 25 years ago, if you had one guy throwing 91 on a high school staff, I mean, he was a special player. No doubt about that. And, Cole, you mentioned the shifts, and I, I'm laughing because I think of a great story. I'm doing a game for ESPN. I go in a day early to St. Louis. I go up into Mike Shannon's box. I'm sitting next to Red Shandies, who I'd gotten to know in spring training. And I had to do something the next night on Baseball Tonight about the greatest hitter of all time. Was it Ted Williams or Babe Ruth? Well, Red Shandy's played against those guys. I, I got the answers to the test right there. Red, who is it? He goes, without a doubt, it was Babe Ruth. He was by far the best. So we're watching the game, and right off the bat, somebody hit a ground ball into the ship, and they threw him out. I go, Red, what do you think about the ship? Red, Red, Red Shandy's goes, that's a bunch of bull, man. They're trying to reinvent the game. Not, I mean, he just went off. He was so mad about it. All of a sudden, I pause for a minute, and I go, Red, how many times did Babe Ruth hit a ground ball to third? And before I finish the sentence, he goes, he never. And he stopped himself. He's going, why the hell did we have somebody playing third base? <laughs> what were we thinking then? So even, you know, Red Shandy's at 90 years old. I mean, you, you know, you can still teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. So, Sud, as you're uh, as you're talking about this too, and looking at some of the pitchers, as we're talking about the Cubs season after the deadline, we have we saw a ton of guys come up, and I remember you and I had a quick chat, I think in Milwaukee, about some of the new relievers coming up. And one day, one guy you said that stood out to you was Michael Rucker. I'm just curious of those guys coming up, and the guys who are potentially on the team in 2022 and beyond. Who are some of the arms that stand out to you that you're curious to work with more in spring training or to see what maybe they can do in the bullpen or the rotation moving forward? Yeah, Tony, that's a great question. And and I'll tell you, um, a lot of people have asked me, um, you know, I was in spring training in 2012 and Theo Epstein had me look at all the minor league pitchers. And when I reported back, I mean, he fired his phone against the wall. He was so upset because I told him maybe there are two or three guys that might help. In a lot of ways, going to spring training in 2022, as I look at it, it's going to be like it was in 2012. There's a lot of unknown. The only difference is there's a lot of things to be excited about. There's a lot of young arms that I can't wait to see. I mean, when I've not seen Brennan Davis. I can't wait to see him run down some balls in the outfield. 
I can't wait to watch him take BP. Uh, Miguel Amaya, I, I still think he's going to be an everyday big league catcher and maybe an all-star at some point. He's starting to figure it out offensively. You, you got Pete Crow Armstrong who came over in the, I think he was in the hobby deal. You got Ed Howard. I want to see what he looks like. Okay, I mean, that's going to be fun to watch once the game starts. But to your point, all of a sudden now, I want Keegan and Justin Steele to have a real big spring training. I want to watch their bullpen. I want to see that fastball command getting better. If it does, they can be a part of the rotation. If it doesn't, then they're going to have to do what they did with success this past year, and that's pitch out of the bullpen. You've got Jordan Wicks. You've got um, Marquez. I want to see 100 miles an hour. Um, what is it, DJ Hurts? It was a minor league yep. pitcher of the year. Uh, the list goes on and on. You've got Killian, who came over in the, in the Chris Bryant deal. There's just a lot of guys that you get really excited about seeing. And I'll tell you, probably more than anything, um, Carter Hawkins that we just brought in, I've done some research on it. You know, I went back and I, I talked <laughs> to Bob Dibziasio, the senior president of Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You, you would have thought he was talking about the Pope. I mean, he talks about a great person, solid, good baseball man, always going to be the smartest guy in the room, but won't make you feel like the dumbest. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to Derek Johnson. We all remember him, pitching coach at Vanderbilt, right? You know who the backup catcher was? Carter Hawkins. You know who in 2007, when the team was going on to win the College World Series, when they had a players-only meeting, you know, you know who ran that meeting? The backup catcher. I mean, that leadership was there from the beginning. Look at the development that Cleveland has had with their starting rotation. Look at what they've done over the last 10 years. Carter's been right in the middle of all of that. Then you bring over an assistant to him that's been with the Astros and the Dodgers. I mean, the, the, the draft, I think, has always been pretty good. I don't know if the development has been what it should have been. I think it might get back to where it needs to be now. So, so when you're in spring training, let's say you're in a bullpen session with Keegan or with Steele, what would you say to them, or how, what would those conversations be like? Obviously, you you know don't give away any secrets or anything right here, but like, what would you like to say to them and impart on them as they as you want them to have a big spring training going into 2022? Tony, it starts with fastball command. Uh, people ask me why years ago did you say that Kyle Hendricks had it? Well, the tougher the situation, the the, the less the catcher's glove moved. His command got better. And you can't just go forcing, forcing, forcing. I don't care how hard you throw. You got to go forcing. You got to go two seam. You got to go cutter. You have three fastballs that you have to command to both sides of the plate. Of course, you got to be able to elevate it once in a while. That's normally the easy part. But creating those X's to each side of the plate, whether it's a left-handed hitter or right-handed hitter, that's what I've got to see. And it comes in stages of three. This will never change. It comes in seeing it in the bullpen. You got to see it there first, okay? If it's not there in the bullpen, it's not going to be there in the game. Once you see that, you got to have some live PP. I got to have a hitter in there. I got to see, you know, he might be able to throw 96 miles an hour to the inside corner to a left hander without having a hitter up there. Put me a hitter up there, and I want to see that same 96. When you see it there, then and only then do you have a chance to see it in the game. That's why spring training is so important. And that's why the last couple of years, a lot of these young guys that we have so much confidence in, it, it's all been taken away from them. 
Now, so you talked about 96, 97, that velocity. That's always going to be the tastemaker. You and I, before Marquee Sports Network launched, we were down at spring training at Sloan Park. And you, you and I, we, we had somewhat of a, a, a bubbling interest when it came to some of those guys coming out of the bullpen. I said, so what do you know about some of these cats? He said, I don't know a whole bunch. I do know that they're big and they throw hard. And on the complete opposite side, Kyle Hendricks, not very big. Doesn't throw very hard, but like you said, he has it. So looking at his 2021 campaign, not where he wanted to be when it comes to some of those numbers, but he was able to wrangle in some of those wins. So what was your assessment of the season pass for Kyle Hendricks? I think you you, you got to look back at the changes in that clubhouse for him. And you you gotta you gotta take away the emotional component that he had to go through. We know that at one point it looked like he might start the All-Star game. He was leading yeah. the league in wins. We know what happened there. Cole, we also know that in his lifetime, he's never had a losing year. And I'll bet another thing, and I don't know this. I know you can go back to college and all of that. I don't think he's ever been on a losing team until this mm-hmm. year. And I, I honestly think in a lot of ways, I think, I think his heart kind of had a crack in it. I think I – think, with all the guys that left and all of a sudden he goes into the clubhouse, I just think there had to be like an emotional letdown. And with a guy like that who has to have command, who has to be one pitch ahead, it's going to show up a lot quicker than it is on a guy that has that 96-mile-an-hour fastball. I don't have a concern in the world about Kyle Hendricks going forward. Okay, so when it comes to Kyle Hendricks and his season this year, there were some ups and there were some downs. I know you two have a very close relationship, and when that road did a little get a little bit rocky, I know you were there, there, there to calm him down just a taste. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I'm just such a big fan of how he goes about things. You know, when, when you hear David Ross talk about him, there's, you know, when you talk about players, there's high maintenance, there's low maintenance, and there's no maintenance. I mean, you love those no maintenance guys. And Kyle Hendricks is one of those guys. Um, he can get a little out of sync at times, and, and at times he can forget that he's one of the guys in baseball that can tip his pitches as best as anybody. Okay? We've seen it. We've had to correct it during the game. And I think towards the end of the year in August and September, every now and then with runners in scoring position, his mind may not have been where it should have been. It wasn't like he was starting game of the World Series, seven of the World Series, which he's done. I, I just think that the emotional component, I, I, yeah, he continued to, comp- to prepare. He did everything he could to go out there and do the best he could, but it was a different surrounding. It, it wasn't the same cast of characters that he was used to. So, so as, as we go to your career, um, did, did you have a big welcome to the, the big leagues moment, you know, 76 with the Dodgers coming up? What was it for you where you realized, like, hey, I'm in the big leagues now, like, and – this is it. I, I'm in the show. This is what I've been working my whole career for. Wow, Tony, I, I, I think about so many things. Um, you mentioned 76. I, I, I spent that summer in Waterbury, Connecticut, uh, playing in front of about, I don't know, 80, 90 people a night, maybe. Um, we had a running track that went through our outfield that you had to be careful you didn't step on or trip over with the little wooden slats that kept the sand and everything in it. Um, I get the call. I mean, I was one of the better pitchers uh, in baseball that year. I get to the big leagues. Uh, Walter Austin retired with four games to go. And he told Lasorda, you're going to manage the team. The only thing is, I want the kid to be the starting pitcher. I I didn't even know, but I I was the kid. So with four games to go, I'm out in the mound. Now, listen, I just came from Waterbury, Connecticut, okay? 
And all of a sudden, I'm at Dodger Stadium in front of 55,000 people. And I'm warming up, and I mean, I'm like, hey, it's okay. You know, my bullpen was good. I'm on the mound. I'm bringing it. Tony, all of a sudden, I hear this voice. And this voice goes, you know what's going through the kid's mind. And I'm like, what? Who is it? What is it? He goes, he knows that he's on the mound that Hall of Famer Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale once stood on. And just last night, one of his heroes, Don Sutton, was on. Tony, all of a sudden, I look down, and I'm like going, holy crap. I mean, like, wow, I'm on this mound. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I throw my last warm-up pitch. Steve Yeager fires it to Davey Lopes. He flips it to Bill Russell. Russell throws it to Ron Say. And I'm playing catch with the Penguin. He throws me the ball. Somebody touches me, and I jump, I turn around. It's Steve Garvey. I'm like, there's Steve Garvey right behind me. I came from Waterbury, Connecticut. I, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I turn around, I look at home. And you know how what an EFIS pitch looks like coming to home? That's what my first pitch in the big leagues looked like. It didn't even make it to home plate. Steve Yeager comes out, and he goes, are you all right? And I go, I don't know. I go, I'm hearing a voice. He starts laughing. He points up to the press box. Back in 1976 at Dodger Stadium, everybody took a radio to the ballpark. The voice I was hearing was Ben Scully. Scully. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and, like, and... I'm like, okay, now I'm all right. I threw five shutout in. I, I was fine after that, but I, I had to find out what that voice was all about. And right over your left shoulder, that's that's Vin right there. Over That's a, a bobblehead of Vin Scully, correct? There's Burt Campanaris, my favorite player. Yep. There's, Vinny, there's the first night game. Come on, Buck O'Neill. You yep. guys got that one. Somebody tell me who this is. I, I can't see it. My my uh, my my box. There, there we go. Oh, that's Boog. That's the heat miser. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, the, the Burt Campan Campanaris one, it needs to be a little bit better likeness. Maybe Burt Campanaris throwing the bat and an opposing pitcher. I, I don't know. That's probably one of the most famous pictures of all time of Burt Campanaris. Uh, would you agree? I think I've got the bat that he threw, too, because for my birthday one year, Eddie Vedder sent me a bat. I mean, it's actually labeled. He knows that that's my favorite player. And, you know, Eddie's favorite player of all time still is Jose Cardinal. You know okay. what I didn't know? Jose and Campy Campaneras are cousins. They both came from Cuba. And all of a sudden, you know, through Jose, Eddie had, Eddie had an opportunity to get me a whole bunch of cool stuff from Campy. I think I have the bat that he threw, I believe it was Larry McGrow that he threw it at. Okay, well, I've heard all these Eddie Vedder stories from you, from Crane Kenny, from a whole list of names. Still have yet to meet the front man of Pearl Jam, so I'm holding out hope one of these days uh, the man who crooned his whole leg better. All you had to do was ask, okay? Okay, I guess that's, if you, if yeah, closed mouths don't get fed, that's what they say around those parts. he He would love to meet you, I promise you that. Okay, well, so, you know, one thing that's funny, that was your welcome to the big leagues moment. You know, for me, it was a little bit different. I don't mean to try to shift gears here, but uh, when I was right out of college, my buddy and I, we lived right around the corner from Wrigley Field, and uh, we were playing catch with a football with some kids in the in the in in some of the balconies, and then we hear someone with a big booming voice from on top of the roof at Murphy say, hey, throw that ball up here. Long story short, it was you, and then fast forward about a decade later, we're standing on set in Bristol, Connecticut, I'm finding out, okay, Rick Sutcliffe's coming in. We're going to do a segment here on, you know, whatever whatever teams it, it, it was. And then you and I, I brought that story up to you, and you remembered it. And then a few a few months later, you and I and Aaron Boone did my very first baseball tonight, and now 
We're working together here on Marquee Sports Network doing podcasts, pregame shows. It's just funny how small the world really is. And that, for me, getting able to share that story with you, that was my welcome to the bigs moment, son. Well, I, why I remember that moment is because you threw it up with more heat on it than I was able to throw it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- things have changed over the years. Uh, oh, I heard oh, just oh, yeah. getting oh, out yeah. of bed, son, just like that. But uh, when, when it comes to your welcome to the booth moment, we, we, you know, we saw our guy, Boots Yambi. You know, we always like to, like to give him a little bit of a ribbing when it comes to that, that bright red head of hair he has there. But uh, what was your welcome to the broadcast booth moment, son? Um. That was never the plan for me. I, I mean, to begin with, as you know, I went back and became a rookie league pitching coach because I wanted to start at the bottom where I started my playing career. Um, eventually, I thought I, I turned down some opportunities to interview to manage a few big league teams. Um, but while I was coaching in rookie league, um, the Padres played a series in Monterey, Mexico. Fernando was pitching. They knew that Fernando and I were really tight. They wanted me to go down and broadcast the series. Well, I had no interest in doing that. And I basically kind of got forced to do it. I went down there and I did it. And you know what? Um, it was okay. It, it was okay. I, I didn't dislike it as much as I thought. But the next thing I know, um, ESPN called the Padres and they said, hey, we want such a, to do a post-game series. So I said, no way. I'm not doing it. I don't, I don't ever want to be a part of that. Again, the Padres said, we need the exposure. You got to go do it. Larry Lupino insisted. Anyway, they paired me with Ernie Harwell. Oh, legend. I am telling you what, I've never, and I don't know that I ever will, meet a nicer person, anybody that was easier to work with. And I'll tell you a real quick story of what happened. We're doing a game at Yankee Stadium. I look over in Steinbrenner's box, and there's Wayne Gretzky. I had met, Wayne, I met him in spring training because him and our trainer, John Fierro, were great friends. Two BP to him, did a lot. A couple of innings later, our producer in the booth at Old Yankee Stadium says, hey, the great one's been sitting behind us for an inning now. I turned around and I look and I went, hey, Wayne, what you, it was in between innings. What are you doing? He goes, I'm just here in tears listening to my man, uh, Ernie, Mr. Harwell. So I tapped Ernie and I go, Ernie, uh, Wayne Gretzky's here. He wants to say hello. All of a sudden, Wayne goes, Mr. Harwell, you don't understand. Growing up, every night as a kid, I fell asleep listening to your broadcast. I mean, it was like Wayne got a chance to meet one of his all-time heroes. And... You know, you've heard a lot since then, Tony, Cole. I, I never heard it before. Ernie Harwell goes, well, he goes, Wayne, let me tell you, I've had a lot of people tell me that my broadcast put him to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going like, you know what? This can actually be fun. And, you know, looking back, that was that was 26 years ago. I'm curious. You said you turned down some opportunities to manage. Why was managing not the right fit for you? You know, um, the only reason it came about was you guys all know the great Bob Birdie, and Bob Birdie became a, a lifelong friend when, when I was in Chicago. Um, I was telling him that I thought I was going to be a pitching coach, and he goes, why? Tony, he says, why wouldn't you sit in the big chair? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He said, you don't want to have, have, you know, you don't want to tell a manager to pull a pitcher and he doesn't do it. You should be the guy making those decisions. You're, you're a connector. Your people skills is, is exactly what it takes to be a big league manager these days. Well, I, I started thinking about how much time it would take, how much time I missed raising our daughter, and I just decided at that point that, you know what, I, I, I don't have the amount of time that it takes to do the job right, so I never went to one of those interviews. Can you tell us some of the interviews that you maybe passed up and, and who got those gigs? Are you at liberty to divulge that info, son? 
No, I, 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 you know, <laughs> when we get off this Zoom call, I'll tell you. And, and okay. one will blow you away that I didn't take. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. So we need to speed this up so we can get some of that inside info. But in, in the meantime, we, we know that between you and Gracie and, and, and Ryan Sandberg, you guys, you know, like to have a little bit of fun in the dugout and the clubhouse on the road. So uh, I know Gracie was a prankster. Is there anyone in particular that you played a prank on or someone that played a prank on you that really still resonates in 2021? Wow. Um, there, there's a bunch of those stories, as you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I wanted everybody loves. I'm not going to get into it because it takes a long time. And I don't know that anybody out there that loves the Cubs or Marquee Sports Network hadn't heard it. But, you know, when I sent Mark Grace to the batting cages, um, he didn't know where the cages was as a rookie. And long story short, I, I sent him to the Cardinal Clubhouse. Um, <laughs> that turned out great. Um, I just over the weekend we had a we, we have we have a charity baseball team that was uh, coordinated by Mark Harmon, uh, the NCIS Mark Harmon guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. But then he played played quarterback at at, at USC, didn't he? Or UCLA? Yes. That's where it was. UCLA yeah. drafted, I think, in the third or fourth round. Well, anyway. Um, Back in the day when Mark Harmon was getting married to Pam Dauber, he was the sexiest man alive on People magazine. Well, we've always had the same agent. Well, my agent, Barry Axelrod, was his best man in the wedding, and he okay. was supposed to put on a bachelor party. Well, what do you do? He didn't know what to do. He said, Harmon's not a strip club guy, not any of that. Anyway, he called me. You got any ideas? I'm with the Cubs. We had an off day in spring training. I said, if you want to bring him over, I said, we'll have a – We'll put on a you know an Olympic event. We'll have a decathlon. We'll play. We'll play. We'll play a game at Wrigley. Um, I rented Malibu Grand Prix. We went to Murphy's. Uh, I'm sorry, to Minder Binders and played volleyball. We did everything. Okay? But we started out at at, at uh, what's now called Sloan Park. We started out at Ho Ho Camp. They yep. pulled up their limousines. Here's Les Moonves, the president of C. Here's all these big wigs, all these celebrities, you know, stars. And I give them all Cubs T-shirts, hats. I give them wristbands. I got Sandberg and Jody and Junk. Everybody's there. I send them out to center field. I'm going to hit some fly ball. Guys, as they're going out, my favorite part, Harmon looks to Axel Rodder. He goes, this is awesome. He goes, what a great guy Rick is. <laughs> so I get him to center field. Right before I hit the first fly ball, I have the ground crew turn the sprinkler system <laughs> <laughs> And as you know, when you turn it on full blast, I mean, it's like a BB gun, and yeah. they use recycled sewer water. So so I had our clubhouse kids take all of their luggage out of the limousine, put it in the van, take it to my house so they didn't have anything else to wear the whole night. <laughs> well, I think I got him, right? It's over. You know, he'll never be able to top that. Years later, the All-Star Games at Wrigley, you know that big Torco sign down there at the end? That great mm -hmm. big sign up there? It was covered for about a month. All of a sudden, during the seventh inning stretch on Sunday, now we were playing the All-Star game on Tuesday. They don't do that anymore. The, the home team's always gone. Anyway, they unveil it. The billboard says, Rick Sutcliffe welcomes his friends to Chicago for the All-Star game. For tickets, call. It had my home phone number on it. <laughs> That's all we had back then was our home phone number. And you don't know what was worse than that? I don't know what you guys look like, but it had my senior high school picture up there with it. Cool. I learned my lesson. Don't 
don't mess with big stars, man. You're never going to win with anything like that. So. Uh, well, before before we, we move things along, I want to know, though, since uh, Mark Harmon was getting married to Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy fame, was Robin Williams in attendance at the bachelor party? No. Okay. No, Robin, okay. Robin was not. He, he was probably uh, when they had the bridesmaid party. He probably went with Pam and all of the fun things that they did over there. I got to meet Robin several times. They had that Hollywood Stars game back when I played for the Dodgers. And he would come out. Um, I mean, you couldn't have been around a funnier or a nicer person than what he was on those nights. And so, something tells me that our guy Tony Andraki has never once seen an episode of Mork and Mindy. It's just just a hunch, but I, I could be right. No, but I've seen a you know a thousand <laughs> other things that Robin Williams has been in. So big fan. Yeah, not not super familiar with Pam Dobson. I do know Mark uh, Harmon. So that story is just incredible. I, how many calls did you get Sud, at your house that day? Or that weekend, I guess. The funny part was we, we got home that night, and as we're driving home, our daughter, Shelby, who was like four, she goes, Mom, who's the picture of that guy up there? <laughs> <laughs> and my wife goes, that was that was your dad in high school. I'm driving home, right? And, and I don't know where, but Shelby had heard somewhere that Robin and I didn't date in high school. Robin's a lot. She's four years younger than I am. Anyway, my daughter from the back seat in her little car seat goes, Mom, now I know why you didn't date him in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the phone continued to ring. Um, we had it was kind of we were laughing about it. Finally, she got it off and put it in one of the drawers. Okay, and then we had to go to the neighbor. You know, back then that's all you had was your home phone. You didn't. We didn't have cell phones. We had to go to the neighbor and use their phone to call the phone company to change our phone number, and that yeah. took like three days. So, um, and if anybody doesn't believe me. You can go back and watch the last week of David Letterman, and he, one of the guests was Mark Harmon. And you would think Harmon, during that show, would talk about NCIS and, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. No, he talked about some of the things I did to him and then all the things that he did back to me. So, That's stuff. absolutely incredible. Well, we know who your favorite or maybe least favorite actors are, but, Rick, who were your favorite teammates that you got a chance to play with over the course of your career, Cubs or otherwise? You know, Tony, I, I, I mean, I got to go back to my favorite all-time teammate. And it started uh, when I was a rookie with the Dodgers, um, Dusty Baker. Dusty took myself and Fernando and Bob Welch. Um, he took us under his wing. He was a guy on the road that would tell us to meet him in the lobby at 2 o'clock. And we'd get in the car and go to the ballpark together. You know, a lot of times we were going to a visiting ballpark that we'd we never been. We didn't know how to get into the stadium. We didn't know where you know, the visiting clubhouse was. Um, Dusty did all of those things for, for a lot of those guys, and, and myself included. He, he's continuing to do that with what he's doing with the Astros. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a huge Freddie Freeman fan. The Brian Snickers story is terrific. Uh, but because of everything Dusty did, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping he gets that first ring. He got a ring. I'm looking at my 81 World Series trophy right here that Dusty had a lot to do with. Uh, but he's, you know, he got a ring as a player. He's never had one as a manager. Um, you know, I, I went to Cleveland and Burt Blylevin. He was a guy that, that, you know, he taught me, you know, uh, uh, don't be afraid to knock some people down because they're not going to charge you. You know, you're, you're too big. They're not going to mess with you. Um, you know, obviously there's too many to name for the, you know, the, the length of time that I was, I was in Chicago. Um, you know, going to Baltimore and playing with Cal Ripken. Uh, ben McDonald's become one of my closest friends still to this day. Uh, really been blessed. Been around a lot of Hall of Famers and a lot of great guys. And, uh, 
you know, yeah, as you look back on, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, you could talk about the time I was with the Cubs forever. And, you know, I was with ESPN for 25 years. That doesn't happen if I don't get traded to the Cubs back in 84. I know that. And I think, I think ESPN knows it even better. Yeah, and Ben McDonald, his sister was my wife's third grade teacher, son. And I worked with yourself and Ben McDonald at ESPN. I did a 10-hour College World Series shift before I did that first baseball tonight with you and Booney. So I was putting in some work there on the trenches. So it's funny how things all come full circle. And it's great to see that you and Ben still stay in such good touch together because he's one of the best to ever do it. A great guy, no doubt about that. Now we're going to continue to talk. We'll talk about all things 2021. We'll look back at 2016. Plus, you know, we're just going to keep strolling down memory lane. But first things first, we have to check in and get a quick word from our sponsor, Wintrust. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. All right, we're back here. We continue to stick and move on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, probably presented by Wintrust. Along here with my guy, Tony Andraki. it's 1984 Cy Young Award winner, the Red Baron, Rick Sutcliffe. And Sut, you told us that your career in TV and radio probably wouldn't have taken off had you have never been dealt to the Chicago Cubs back in 1984 from the Cleveland Indians. 1984, also the year when you brought home some serious hardware. So as you take a look back and reflect, things always do happen for a reason. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> it definitely did in my life. I don't, I don't know what the reason was. Um, I, I, I know the night that it happened, I know there was a lot of things going on that I don't, I don't know that everybody knows about. But uh, we, I'm with Cleveland, and um, we, I, I'd had a root canal go bad. So I hadn't pitched real well for about three starts. I lost a bunch of weight. Um, it erupted and all that kind of thing. So I'm finally getting my strength back. I think I lost like 15 pounds. But anyway, I'm back. I'm in shape, and, and, and I'm pitching against Oakland. And we had a problem against with a guy named Mike Heath. And uh, he did some things he shouldn't have done. And we get in the big ball, and I can't get to him to hit him. So I just tell him, I go, if I ever face you again, I go, I'm going to hurt you. Well, I faced him. And, you know, I don't want to get kicked out in his first at bat. I don't want to get kicked out in his second. I want to make sure we win the game. So his third at bat, he comes up, and I, I, I hit his helmet. And his helmet went rolling back to the backstop. And, you know, I, I didn't know if his head was in it or not. I honestly didn't really care. Cool. That's the first time I ever got charged. Okay? Ever. Even in the minor league. So I dropped my glove on the mound, and I'm waiting on him to get there. And he dies on the ground, and he's laying on the ground just holding my leg. Just got a hold of my ankle. Well, I look up, and Billy Martin, he managed um, uh, the Oakland A's back then. He looks like Colonel Custer flying out there after me, right? He's got Dave Kingman and Cliff Johnson behind him. He, he got some monsters, right? I look over at our side. Our manager, Dave Garcia, who was like 100 at that. I mean, they're, they're not getting out. They're not in a hurry to get there. So, Cole, I reach down, and I pull his head up, and I smoke him. I mean, I, I, I crush him. And I'm down on the ground, and now, you know, there's 40 people on top of me. And every and they're hitting me. I mean, they, they all they knew what I, I told them what I was going to do. I did it. Now they're, you know, whatever. Every time they hit me, I hit him. I just kept hitting him and hitting him. All of a sudden, it clears out a little bit, and I get up. I got him in my. I got him in, in a headlock. I know I'm gonna get hit again. So every time you hit me, I'm gonna hit him again. Anyway, um, I didn't get kicked out of the game, but uh, he did. Anyway, blah blah blah. After the game, I got a guy named Charlie Fox, a longtime scout and you know one of Dallas Green's best friends. 
He's in there. He goes, hey, come on, you're going with me. Where are we going? <laughs> he took me to the hospital to get my right hand x-rayed. He goes, we got to see if anything's broken there before we do anything. Dallas had to call the commissioner's office to find out if I was going to be suspended or not. All of that happened the night that I got traded to the Cubs. I was in Chicago the next morning. So, um, yeah, it was interesting how it all came about, but um, obviously everything turned out okay. Did you get about a $100 fine on that one? You know what? I, I don't think – I didn't charge him. He charged me. I don't think I got fined. I, I know I didn't get out, kicked out of the game because I had no suspension when I, when I got to Chicago. All right, so – all that behind the trade to, to the Cubs, I was actually I was going to ask you. I guess we kind of have the reason. So, like, Rick, there's been very few. I think actually you're the only person in baseball history to win a major award to be traded leagues midseason and take home the like, National League Cy Young. Uh, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but we did some research and I think so. So, anyways, you pitch half a season for the Cubs, you win the Cy Young. Very rare, absolutely incredible. So do we have Mike Heath to, to thank for this and, and starting off your your uh, Chicago <laughs> career on a good start? And, and I mean, I mean, 16 and one and 20 starts. Like, I, was it was it like something from that moment that just got you off on this amazing run in Chicago? You know what, um, Tony, it, it kind of started. I mean, I pitched pretty well in 82. Um, I won the ERA title for Cleveland. Um, I won 18 games in 83 for, you know, a last place team. Um, things were going pretty well until that root canal. And then I think Dallas was just kind of waiting to, you know, see if I could get back to, to where I was earlier. Um, I, I just remember when, when I got to Chicago, um, I wasn't able, you know, I just pitched the night before. So we played a four game series against the Phillies and we lost all four games. Um, I didn't get to pitch any of those games. Um, I didn't pitch till we went on the road. And I remember when we took off, I mean, the headlines in the papers were that the Cubs were going to collapse again. Like, what do you mean going to collapse? I, I mean, I didn't know the history of, of anything that was going on. Um, then all of a sudden, we're in Pittsburgh. And if we win that night, you know, we're going to playoffs. We clinched. And, Tony, I'm walking to the bullpen, and I see this huge sign up there that said 39 years of suffering are enough. I don't know what it means. I had no idea. I'm warming up, and... As you guys know, I always gave the baseball that I warmed up with, I always found a little boy or a little girl to give it to. And as I come back in there, I see that family holding it up, and there's a dad with a little son, and I wave him down. And I said, hey, I want to give this to your, to your son here. You know, it's the ball that I warmed up with. But I go, I got to know, what, what does that sign mean? And he goes, well, we haven't been to the playoffs in 39 years. And uh, he goes, if we win tonight, we're going to playoffs. And I'm like, oh. I go, um, Tell your son he might want to hold on to that baseball. Um, I didn't mean it to be cocky. I just knew. Um, everybody says, well, how did, how did you, you know, do so well with, with the Cubs and you weren't doing that well with Cleveland? Nothing really changed with me other than the, the eight guys that I had surrounded me. Um, it was a better team at every position. Uh, we had a great bullpen with Stoddard and Lee Smith. Um, that team was just built to win, and the ones I played for in Cleveland were not. Yeah, epic collapse, of course, in 1969, and then 15 years later, that 1984 squad, giving the whole city of Chicago a whole bunch of life. But when it came down to the wire, the San Diego Padres, when the dust settled, they were the team that ended up moving on. So what was that like, being able to be in a battle like that with San Diego and knowing that you were that close from ending the curse prior to 2016? 
You know, Cole, I, I mean, they've wanted to write books. They want to do a movie and all that stuff. I'm not that guy. Um, you know, I, I, I don't complain. I'm the guy that was on the mound with three to nothing lead in game five. Um, we gave it up, you know, whether it was because of an error or, or whatever it was. Um, we lost game three. We lost game four. The one thing I will say about game one, two, three, and four, that's the only year in the history of baseball that the umpires were on strike. We had local high school umpires doing that series. And game three and four in San Diego, those were local San Diego high school umpires. Um, if you go back and watch some of that stuff, um, it, it was a lot more difficult than it should have been. Um, you know, people say that we had the best record. We should have had home field. We didn't have life. I don't know any of that stuff. I just, I just know that, you know, um, you know, the excitement that we had in game one and game two, um, <laughs> All right. I love you guys. I love Marquis. I'll tell the whole story. I came out of game one after seven innings, right? I had a shutout. Jim Price said, that's it. You're done. I go, I'm not done. I complete games. That's what I do. I'm not. I, the best thrill in baseball is at the end of the game, a, a, a quality start for me is when you shake the catcher's hand at the end of it. I want those people on their feet. We're 13 to nothing. I'm going to finish this. Nothing to it. Jim Price says, we're bringing you back in game four, if there is a game four. Okay. All right, I'll come out. I'll save those two innings. Well, the morning of game four, I get a phone call in my hotel room from Jim Price. I don't talk to people the day I pitch, but it's I, I got it's the manager. I got to talk. He told me I wasn't pitching game four. He wanted to save me. He didn't say for what. He wanted to save me. Um, when I got to the ballpark that night, and a lot of the guys found out I wasn't pitching, um, what's that movie mutiny on the bounty or whatever it was like, <laughs> yeah. it was an absolute disaster in that clubhouse before game four. I had players yelling at me, telling me you're pitching tonight. We got to get this over with. Um, yeah. Um, there were a lot of things that went into that, that, you know, I don't know that I've ever told this story before. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm not making excuses. There were just a lot of things that, uh, a lot of moving parts that didn't work out the way we had hoped. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give all the credit to that loss to the uh, the, the the high school staff of umpires uh, who knew that Joe West, CB Buckner, and Angel Hernandez umpired uh, uh, high school games down in San Diego in their free time. No, no, just just getting there, but uh, that's yeah, that's. Left. I know funny and cold. That, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, those guys, they've been making bad calls for years. So you know, more power to them. To, to not be as efficient at their job as they need to be and, and still be gainfully employed. But either way, you know, that's, that's a tremendous story. And so I'm glad you were able to share it here with us on the Cubs weekly podcast, man. Appreciate it. Right, Tom? Yeah, for sure. And so we know 84 didn't go the way you or the Cubs or Cubs fans wanted it to go, but 2016 did. So Rick, I'm curious, what was your perspective for that fall for that magical, you know, final few days of October and November were you in Cleveland for game seven? I'm not hundred percent sure on that. And just like your thoughts and emotions as the Cubs finally won it all. Um, I was not in Cleveland. Um, the Cubs were nice enough to fly my family back for game three, four and five um, at Wrigley. Um, I had to have some skin cancer removed and I was supposed to do it at the end of the season. The Cubs get into the playoffs. My, my dermatologist surgeon told me that I, you know, I, he gave me a deadline, which was game five. Um, I had to fly back to, to have the surgery and get everything done. He, 
he wasn't going to let me wait any longer to get that done. So I missed game six and game seven. I, I, I missed the parade and all of that. Um, obviously, I mean, one of the coolest things was they sent me a picture. There were a couple of chairs on the parade on the bus that said Rick and Robin Sutcliffe that were, that were just empty. Um, as you know, I, uh, I, I got shocked when Theo Epstein called Eddie Better, Kerry Wood, and myself up. We all got World Series rings. Um, you know, um, that blew me away to be a part of that. What I think back on is after we won the game in Pittsburgh and Clinch that night, you know, we celebrated out on the field, you know, and then we went to the clubhouse. Tony, it's a Monday night in Pittsburgh. The game only lasted about two hours. I mean, what do you do? Well, Harry Carey grabbed a hold of me and he said, he goes, suck, can you get everybody out on the field? We all go out on the field, and Arnie Harris, the great producer for uh, WGN, had piped in from Chicago to the big screen there at Three Rivers Field what was going on at Wrigley Field. And, again, I got goosebumps on me looking at all the fans that were celebrating, knowing how long it had been. And a couple of days later, we get back to Chicago, and as I walk into the clubhouse, all of a sudden I see Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and Fergie and, 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 and all these guys, and here comes this guy up to me, and, I mean, he grabs me. And, I mean, it, it's the man. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not going anywhere. And with tears in his eyes, he tells me, I'll never be able to thank you enough for doing what you did for the Cub fans that we couldn't get done. Tony, it, it was Ron Santa. He was talking about what Cole was mentioned back in 69. I didn't know any of that. I didn't even know who Ron Santa was. Um, but fast forward to 2016, to, to answer your question, I had the opportunity to do that same thing to Theo Epstein, to Judd Hoyer, um, to Jason McLeod, to David Ross, to John Lester. I don't know that I had tears in my eyes, and I don't know that I gripped him as tight as, as Ron Sano had me, but I knew exactly what I needed to do from what the great third baseman of the Cubs had done years before that. Yeah, I'm sure a, a great point of pride for you to be able to, to, to say thank you to those guys and uh, be able to look at that commissioner's trophy and said, I'm, I'm glad you were able to go out there and get those treatments because the next time the Cubs wrap up a, a World Series and bring things home, guess who's going to be front and center? It's, it's going to be you. and We're going to be celebrating like it's 1999. Now, when it, it comes to you and the role that you're in with the Cubs being able – to be in that consultation kind of role. What, what does that mean to you, knowing that you were such a special part of that team back in 1984 and moving forward and you will continue to be for many years to come? I, I, I think back, Cole, to um, a phone call I got like in late October of, of 2011 from Theo. He goes, um, I'm going back and I'm going to take over the Cubs and we're going to win the World Series. But he goes, I want you to come with me. And I hadn't been to spring training with the Cubs at all. Um, you know, that what went on with Brian Sandberg and how they weren't honest with him back in the day. We just both kind of, we just went our separate ways and didn't do anything in spring training. I was doing a lot of ESPN. I, you know, I had a lot going on. There really wasn't a lot of time. Well, when Theo asked and I went back, um, you know, I was there probably 95% of the time. Um, I was there in, 2000, in 2012, 13, 14. I've been there every year. Um, with the exception of that, uh, what went on with COVID and, you know, how we all in 2020, well, got told to go home. There really mm -hmm. wasn't much of a spring training for anybody last year. Uh, a lot of us weren't allowed in. I mean, I brought Ryder over and we saw a couple of games, but, you know, we didn't have the access that we did before. Um, I, I, I just, I, I think back to, I'm leaning on the batting cage one day. I think it was 2016 spring training. 
And Theo's Epstein there, Jed's there, and, and Joe Madden's there. And they go, man, we just can't get, thank you enough for, for what you do. Um, we tried to pay you. You won't take a dime. Um, you come in, you do this all on your own. You do it because of your love for the Cubs. We just want to thank you. And I looked at him and I said, let me ask you something, okay? If I were to put on eBay what I get to do today and I could sell it to somebody, what? how much money would, would this raise? I'm staying in a great hotel. You guys give me a rental car. I have breakfast with the players or the coaches, whoever, whatever I want to do. I get to sit in on all the meetings that you have. I get to go out and throw BP to Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. Um, after the game, I get to go have a couple of beers with the coaches in, in Old Town. We get to take a golf cart home. Everything is sick. What if I auction that <laughs> off on eBay? Tell me right now, Tony, what, what would somebody pay um, to be able to have one day doing that? And, and I'm getting to do it every day. Yeah, I, I would say it's bidding would start fifty grand easy, and I imagine it would probably eclipse that pretty pretty fast. Yeah, and so that's one of the reasons that, that you're one of my favorites in all the business because moments like that they're never lost on you. You know that this is a privilege to be able to cover this great game that we get to cover on a daily basis. It, it is not a right, and uh, it's our privilege to be able to work with you and call you one of our colleagues here at Marquee Sports Network and cannot wait until that stove starts to heat up just a little bit because we know Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins, those guys are going to be aggressive in free agency, and I'm interested to see how 2022 is going to look, and I know you're just as interested. So, as always, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. So really appreciate it, man. Cole, Tony, I want to add one more thing, one more thing real quick. Yeah, there's some free agents out there that could obviously help a little bit. When you think back to how the Cubs were built, what did it take to build a champion? To begin with, it took a trade for Rizzo. It took a trade for Arietta. It took a, a, you know, a bunch of trades that, that really worked out. To begin with, Cal Hendricks came over with Jake Arietta that same year. I really look at what, what our GM knows about Cleveland, what our assistant GM knows about the, the Astros and the Dodgers. I go back to what Theo did with the trades he made to begin with, I go back with what Dallas Green did when he traded for myself. He traded for uh, a guy named Larry Boa, and they, one of the throw-ins was a kid, a little infielder named Ryan Sandberg. Some yeah. of the trades that put 84 together, some of the trades that put 2016 together, now that we have a farm system. Yeah, we gave up a lot with Rizzo and KB and Javi and, and the whole bullpen, we got, but we got a lot back. And all the reports, I haven't seen it with my eyes, so I don't know this, but I know what I've read. There's a minor league system that's there right now. Why were we able to make the trade for Chapman in July of 2016? We had in our minor league system what the Yankees wanted. We have a lot of things in our system now that people will want. And I think some of the first big deals we're going to make, I, I believe, and I don't know a thing, but I believe there are going to be some trades that we make to help get us back on track. Well, with Carter Hawkins, now the right-hand man of Jed Hoyer, maybe we'll see some former Vanderbilt alums start to matriculate their way to the second city and uh, find themselves as the newest members of the Chicago Cubs. Things are going to get interesting as the year winds up. And as 2022 gets underway, it's going to get that much more interesting, just like our guy, Rick Sutcliffe. Sut, always a pleasure. Thanks for stopping by. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust. And don't forget to go out there and download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and on YouTube. And as always, Sut, 
thanks for stopping by, man. Appreciate it. The lights just went out, so it means it must be time to go. Stay cool. Pay your light bill. Yeah. <laughs>